0: You Lower. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Aboverdi. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. It's jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the gets Jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Zach Alboverdi and Graham Hall here and we have... A lot to discuss and recap since we last joined you guys. And a lot has happened in the Florida football program with the firing of Dan Mullen and the hiring of Billy Napier, who was tabbed as the Gators' next head coach last Sunday following Florida's regular season finale against Florida State. We'll touch on that game a little bit, the job that Greg Knox and that staff did to get the Gators their sixth win of the season, become bowl eligible. But, Graham, we've got a lot to discuss from this coaching Uh, carousel that we've seen not only at Florida, but around
1: college football, and it's uh, been no shortage of news at all. Man, if you took a vacation, (laughs) you blinked, you have a brand new head coach. Incredible. Zach, in seriousness, you remember being on the beat, covering this team, these coaching searches taking a month, 29 days. I was saying a couple weeks ago that it was maybe too late to move on from Dan Mullen because the process can take a long time if you haven't done your due diligence. But we also don't know what the department is doing behind the scenes a lot of the time. What candidates they're vetting, who they're looking into, and being able to move as quickly as Florida did obviously indicates that they had done a whole lot of homework on moving on from Dan Mullen that we weren't privy to. That's absolutely safe to say. But what a quick coaching search it was, Zach.
0: Yeah, and I know that none of the media members are complaining about it. I'm sure the fans are happy that this thing got wrapped up. And especially when you consider, Graham, so many coaching changes happening across the country. And knowing that Billy Napier was a candidate for several jobs in years past and was going to have a lot more job offers come his way in the coming weeks had he not been taken off the market by Florida. So Scott Strickland and his staff acted really fast. And before we get into that, Graham – I do want to kind of touch on Dan Mullen's departure. We saw him make an appearance on social media this week, spreading a little holiday they cheer on his Twitter account, so he seems to still be in good spirits, but a very quick exit for him. I think some people expected this to potentially go through the regular season and maybe a change happen after the Florida State game, but as Scott Strickland said in his press conference after the firing, that... Once he had made the call that it was time to move on and that he really came to that realization after the Missouri game that there was no sense in having this thing drag out another week, having Dan Mullen go through senior day festivities. And hey, I mean, if the Gators would have won with him being the head ball coach, would it have been a little bit more difficult to move on from him after that? But as we sit here now, weeks removed, Graham, what do you feel like ultimately
1: was what cost Dan Mullen his job? That's a really good question. I don't know if we have an answer for that right now. There have been a lot of takes that have come out saying that he quit on this team, kind of tapped out. I don't know what exactly it was. Obviously, it was got to be a combination of a lot of things. But their inability to win close games and find countless ways to... Lose games. Lose games, yeah. Unravel, whatever you want to call it. It felt like they were kind of patch a a, a leaky dam in a sense. And every time they fixed one hole, there'd be another one that would spring open. And eventually you got to put that on the architect there. And that's Dan Mullen. Uh, You know, if it's not going to get fixed in however long it's been going on five years, if he were to return, it begs the question, are they ever going to get over the hump? And people were asking that question months ago. And I kind of was scoffing at it then. But obviously, in retrospect, it looks incredibly intelligent. I think we have some great colleagues on this beat who pose interesting questions and kind of put themselves out there. I'll mention one. Thomas Gold came at 24-7, had said earlier, is this the best we've seen out of Dan Mullen at Florida? And at the time, I didn't believe it. But I think if you look back on it, when they reached number 6 in the college football playoff poll last year... That was their peak. That was the peak of this team. And they never got over the hump when it came to recruiting. And the defensive corrections were not made, even though they attempted to replace the the secondary coaches. They didn't really make the fixes that needed to be made because they were kind of just patchwork jobs, like I said. It it comes down to, I think, a wholesale change in, in the person because... No matter what, you know, happens on the field, you can't make Dan Mullen become this avid recruiter type like Kirby Smart, like Billy Napier. That just wasn't in him. The budget was going to go however his motivation to recruit did, and that was middle of the pack, which was also kind of in line with the Florida football facilities, which is no longer going to be an issue moving forward. So another question was raised during the season. Do you move on from Dan Mullen? and give the next coach the entire year to get ready for the new facilities and build the program up and really get in a good groove right as you get this $85 million standalone facility. And now it looks like Florida has gone with that option.
0: Absolutely. And as Scott Strickland mentioned in his press conference, Graham, this decision to move on from Dan Mullen wasn't just about wins and losses. Now, certainly that had a lot to do with it and I think that the losses exposed a lot of the problems that were always there underlying, but really weren't evident because his first you know, two know, and a half years, almost full three seasons, was filled with success. And as long as the Gators were winning, as long as he was improving the offense, as long as the program was heading in an upward trajectory everything was going good. And I think some of the issues that would surface later in terms of his personality, the way that he went about leading his program, how he dealt with his staff, how he dealt with the administration, how he dealt with his players. I don't think those issues became apparent until things started to go south. And once they did, A lot of the, I think, tendencies that we've seen from Dan in press conferences where he comes off abrasive, he comes off defensive, sometimes takes poor tone or or, or just can seem like a guy that would be difficult to work with, especially when things go wrong. I think that he wasn't able to overcome that once they started to lose, once adversity hit this team this year. And, And clearly within the program, There was a lot of issues happening, and I think he as a leader wasn't able to take that group and and this team through that. And I think once he lost the locker room, and I think once he lost the respect of his coaching staff, and I think people within that administration, it it was hard for him to be able to move forward as a leader of this football program because he didn't have enough legs to stand on at that point anymore. They weren't winning games things weren't going well within the program to everybody was feeling good about the direction. And certainly, you didn't have recruiting that you could point to and say, well, at least we have this going on for the future. And it's interesting, I think, that when you look at Jim McElwain and what caused really his exit, it was kind of being at odds with the administration, but also how he presented himself in press conferences, particularly the death threats incident. And I think that in many ways he put his foot in his mouth in that instance as Dan Mullen did several times throughout his tenure. And I think as the representative of the University of Florida and this football program with as much tradition as it has and as much money is invested into it and the resources that are available, like that just doesn't fly. You cannot go out there and and represent that brand and that program in that way And then also obviously not have the results on the field. Now, if you're a jerk or you're tough to work with, all that stuff might be able to be looked over if the wins are there. Uh, And I think once that went away, it was just a situation that was beyond repair. And I think that's what went – a lot graham into this next hire which we'll get into uh, once we come back from this first break we're going to talk about kind of the process that scott strickland took and ultimately why he decided so quick to hire billy napier we'll be right back after this break this is gainesville sun sports editor arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support.
1: I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC, I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland. But I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban. And I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC football unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod, Zach and Graham here. And Graham, as we close there, that that last segment, you know, I mentioned kind of how I felt some of the ways that Dan dug himself in a ditch that was too much to climb out of. What are kind of your thoughts? I think from a media standpoint, and and how the way that he kind of presented himself, not only in the media but to his
1: team and within the program, kind of became problematic. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Jim McElwain there because I got a lot of vibes from the decline from Jim McElwain's tenure ending. I, I just the way I think about how it all unraveled. The way you said once they no longer were winning, all of the issues became massive issues and even I think Jim at the end of his tenure had a, a good recruiting class to go off of he did and there was a lot of positive momentum in the offseason but what Dan Mullen didn't really ever have to deal with a lot of was scandal the players kind of really towed the line under him especially of late you didn't really have any massive off the field issues while In Jim McIlwain's tenure, you had several that upended the program before they even had a chance to get going. And ultimately, that fell on him. But as you remember, Scott Strickland had no really affinity for him prior to him getting there. So he really kind of didn't have the backing necessarily the same amount that Dan Mullen had. So he got a little bit of a longer leash, I think, But also there was the pandemic, and that's kind of one of the things that we haven't talked about too much that I really keep thinking of, because I've said this before, and some people have said, well, you know, sure, but are they mutually exclusive? And Dan Mullen's decline at Florida really kind of corresponded in my eyes with the pandemic occurring. I mean, he came off one so much better in person. His personality, when he was in a good mood, really, I I think he nailed a lot of media appearances in his first couple of years, at least in comparison to Jim McElwain. I mean, going back to when he was at Mississippi State, he was getting a lot of praise for how he would nail SEC media days when he was rocking the Yeezys, and everyone loved those. So he really didn't have this reputation necessarily as this brash, arrogant guy, at least... In the media. Not in the media, necessarily. Now, there were people who knew... (laughs) <laughs> in the athletic department and going back to when he was at Florida. Yeah, that he had that capacity for that sure. He, and and multi, many people thought that, it, oh, maybe he's just young. You know, he's 29, 30 years old, this guy. He's going to grow out of this. But then you even saw some media appearances at Mississippi State if you really looked hard enough where he would kind of, you know. Yeah, that whole uh, interaction that he had with the reporters
0: about not putting out injury information and just basically walking out of the presser and uh
1: I mean, definitely some tense moments there in Starkville. And he did have some tone-deaf statements that I think just did not really get the coverage that they're going to get at a place like Florida, a place that's won multiple national championships. So he really was under the limelight when things started going wrong, and then those cracks were magnified when the losses started piling up, not understanding the optics of Beating Samford, yes, but by 18, when you trailed by 14 at one point, And you gave up 52. Just was so tone deaf in retrospect. Well, that's your narrative, Graham. Y- exactly. And, and, you know, even getting asked about it, just talking about narrative right after that, you know, I'm sitting right there and being like, okay, this is really kind of coming apart at the seams. It was like watching the train wreck about to happen, similar to how... Jim McElwain got yeah. up there and made the death threat comments. I really got the same type of vibe sitting there saying, okay, this is a guy who really may not be cut out for it. And I never really got that vibe before. But it all had built, I think, up to this. And he was just kind of being laughed at yeah, in, in a sense.
0: And I think obviously Scott and his staff realized that and realized probably around the time of the South Carolina game, if not before that, that this change was going to be inevitable. And they were clearly ready to start this coaching search once they made the decision to move on from Dan. And, you know, there were a lot of candidates out there, Graham, a lot of directions that he and his staff could go, and there was a lot of competition as well. Now, I can share what I was told were the top three candidates, but, you know, there were some guys that were not considered for this job, one being Lane Kiffin. I mean, he was – lobbying for the Florida job from some of the things that I was told and uh, wasn't even on Scott Strickland's list. And then obviously we even saw a report that Brian Kelly had made overtures to to put himself in the mix for the Florida job. So I think Scott Strickland was looking for a specific type of candidate and that wasn't going to be Lane Kiffin because of maybe some of the things that we just
1: talked about with McIlwain and Mullen. And I think I said this a couple weeks back that Lane Kiffin has done a really good job at playing the part, convincing people that he is grown, matured, become this really savvy guru who has this cool edge about him. And I think that if you really look at it, you see a guy who doesn't necessarily love recruiting, and that may be the biggest knock against him, but you have a guy who maybe has the same thing going against him that Dan Mullen had. Yep. Arrogance. Yep. An inability to work with the administration. You know, when they ripped Hugh Freeze a couple weeks ago on Twitter and Lane Kiffin, they had to come out there and say, hey, I have nothing to do with that account. I just, I see that situation just going down much differently at Florida. And you would have not necessarily had the leash in Gainesville that you're going to have in Oxford for Lane. So it's a much riskier hire. And Florida, even though Billy Napier has no Power 5 head coaching experience, I think that when you look and examine him and dive into how he has dealt with the media, boosters, recruits, administration, and his own coaching staff, you see a guy who doesn't have the same type of arrogant qualities that have really, I think, led to the undoing of a lot of head coaches in this business. And it's going to be harder and harder to find these humble coaches with with hubris as these salaries continue to balloon into the eight-figure range. And that job is going to be tougher and tougher to weed out. And, And that's why there is always going to be risk with making any hire like this when you go for someone who has already tasted that type of success, whether it's as a head coach before or even in the case of Napier at a a place like Clemson in Alabama and Florida State, having been on the coaching staffs with guys who won multiple national championships. You never know what's going to happen. And that's just one of the risks you take.
0: And you mentioned that experience that Napier's had at schools like Alabama, Clemson, brief stop at FSU. I think the fact that he's been hired by Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, and Jimbo Fisher says a lot about him. Oh, yeah. Him. Uh, obviously, as well as Jim McElwain. <laughs> Can't forget that. But for Scott Strickland, he was clearly the target from the get-go. Now, the other two targets that were among, I, I think, the top three for Scott Strickland, from what I've been told, we're Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell. Now Luke Fickle I think is a name that a lot of people assumed maybe would be on the radar for Florida. He quickly removed himself from job consideration, although we'll see now what happens with Notre Dame being open, and I think Matt Campbell being another guy that's always kind of been a name in the past couple of years as a coaching candidate, but I think probably plan C for Florida I would imagine. Just He's had success there at Iowa State, but not to the level that I think you could maybe sell him as well as some of the other candidates. And hey, at the end of the day, Billy Napier beat him when they went up there last season. So I think Napier was his top target all along, was the only candidate that he met with. And this thing wrapped up pretty quick. Now, it would have been interesting to see if any other schools could have entered the mix here with some more jobs opening up. But Scott Strickland and this staff wanted to make sure that things did not get to that point and, and they wrapped this thing up pretty quick we'll meet and hear from Billy Napier on Sunday Graham but now that we've had you know a few days to, to kind of let this settle in what are your overall thoughts on him as the hire and, and the process
1: that Florida took of bringing him here I think what he's done at Louisiana has been incredibly impressive especially when you really examine the context I mean, I'm not just talking about who he's recruiting against, which isn't just LSU and Alabama, but Texas and Oklahoma and the likes of the Big 12. You name it. I mean, everyone is trying to get players out of Louisiana. And his first year there, they lost 30 plus scholarships due to NCAA infractions. Well, that didn't stop Napier from going out there. And managing to win seven games his first season with guys that he didn't really bring in. And this is pre-Portal era, so you couldn't really just do the mix and match, swap, get guys to follow you thing that you're seeing a lot of right now with Lincoln Riley heading out there to USC and bringing some guys with him, obviously. This is a situation where you got to kind of throw the first year out, in my mind, and then really evaluate him in years two through four. Well, especially coming off of three consecutive losing seasons. Yeah, this first year. it wasn't like he inherited this program that was healthy and had full investment from the players or and, full scholarships. Yeah, I mean, incredible. I mean, they had less available scholarships than you can have on a travel roster. That's just insane what they were able to do in that second year heading in, where he only lost five games across the final three years. I've asked people all the time, what do you look for for programs that didn't take a step back during the pandemic when you lost that entire, more than a year of not just development but recruiting? How did they stay healthy in every single department? And it comes down to obviously a relationship business because yeah, you were stopped from personal, in-person contact but you absolutely could keep finding ways to evolve and stay in touch with recruits and find who were the next prospects. There was a shortage of film at the time, obviously with no camps and a lack of games, but finding prospects, that process doesn't change. You can still find top players with a small amount of film and being able to do that, I think is a sign was a, was a sign of a really good coach because these top programs, Money could not make up for evaluation. Finding coaches that were able to recruit through a year where they were financially strapped was kind of a weed out process, I think, for a lot of administrators. It kind of really m- made it easier to see who the next crop of rising yeah. coaches was. And seeing Napier do that, you know, it wasn't, it, I mean, it's not just Florida that's done this. You look at the amount of SEC programs that have reached out to him over the last three years. They're seeing someone who just totally gets it. And it's why I think you're seeing a lot of administrations a little bit less inclined right now to hire search firms because they really have kind of seen the process stripped bare over the last two years. Now, when we come back from this final break, Graham and I will give
0: our take on Billy Napier coming to Florida what we feel like he needs to do to ultimately have success in Gainesville and what our expectations are for his first year. We'll be right back after this break.
1: USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida sports network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics, From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites.
0: Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here, and we will hear from Billy Napier on Sunday for his introductory press conference. And I'm sure in the days that follow, learn some more about his staffing and where he's going to go from an assistant coach standpoint, what coordinators he's looking to bring in and what he will ultimately do as well with a strength coach. We know there's been some lobbying for Nick Savage, but ultimately that's going to be Billy Napier's decision. But I think one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing and I think is going to be critical to his success is what type of recruiting staff he puts together and I think more importantly maybe how he bolsters it even more than what we've seen Florida do in the last you know five years it's grown a lot in terms of the number of recruiting staffers that work in that department it needs to keep growing and I know that that's something that Billy really harped on and he's got some connections I think from his time at Alabama and some of the recruiting staffers that are around the SEC and around the country really doing some work. I wouldn't be surprised to see him poach a few people from some of those staffs, specifically somebody from Georgia. And I really think that one aspect of his plan that really sold Scott Strickland is what he has in place for recruiting and how he's going to go about attacking that, which was clearly
1: an area that Dan Mullen lacked in. Yeah, you could see that in the last couple of years, it wasn't just the show cause that was stopping Dan Mullen from getting out on the trail. I think it was a lot of lack of personal relationships with coaches, administrators, I mean, strength coaches, you name it, at these high schools in the state of Florida and Georgia. You know, that's another place that's ripe for the picking that I really think that, you know, South Georgia, Florida does not capitalize on enough. And, and you saw, I think, Dan Mullen make an attempt there the last couple of years, but I think a little bit too late um, too little, too late, you could say, there. But I've talked about this a lot, Zach, but the lack of ripe coaching talent in the state at the high school level is also certainly a problem. It hasn't helped that Florida has had three head coaches over the last, what, seven years. They're not going to be able to keep any relationships with any guys because a lot of them are also leaving. This yeah. The coaching stipends are so poor here. So whatever is going to be done here, is going to take a whole mess of people, let's be honest, to develop these relationships. It can't just fall on the head coach. The head coach can't think that they can do it alone. I think that's absolutely a key thing here for Billy Napier here. When it came to selling himself to Scott Strickland, you have to be humble enough to say, listen, I'm going to need a whole lot of people helping me. I can't do this on my own. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Absolutely. And that mindset, when you realize that you don't know everything know what you don't know that you need people around who can help you that's going to be the biggest thing for you as a head coach because they're going to need guys in Jacksonville in the panhandle in South Georgia North Georgia who have all these relationships with guys that Dabo Swinney Kirby Smart you name it have already developed with and Florida is behind on when it comes to recruiting the 2023 and 2024 classes that are really going to you know, make or break Napier's tenure at Florida. So I think when you really look at this, he had to have a plan in place already when Strickland came to meet with him last week because this is a process that you can't go in thinking, oh yeah, I've done it before elsewhere. I'm sure I'll figure it out once I get here. This is a, a massive thing recruiting the state of Florida. And I think having a coach that understands what they don't know is key. Now, recruiting
0: is obviously going to be priority number one, not only once he takes the job and trying to finish up this 22 class, but also, I think, just improving that from a whole program standpoint heading into the future. Now, aside from that, Graham, recruiting and putting together a recruiting department, what do you feel like is the biggest area that Billy Napier is going to have to address within his first one to two years in order to get this thing headed on the right track? Outside of recruiting, obviously I think that that, most would agree that's probably number one on his priority list. Outside of that, though, what's broken within this program that he needs to fix?
1: Mm. It's a good question. That's a million-dollar question, multi-million-dollar question. It's a multi-million-dollar question. I think that Florida— no longer has the excuse of facilities. And I really think he just has to be more humble, inject some humility, not just into the coaching staff that he hires, but also in the boosters. You know, I think that you got to be honest, there really has been a lack of financial investment, in my opinion, on that end over the last 15 years, probably because of some complacency. The thought that, hey, we've already reached this, we've already done this. But I also think, to your point, that relationship there
0: and a little bit of humility shown from the head coach admitting that I do need these boosters and I do need their help. And I think being able to have the type of approach with them that incentivizes them to give more to the program. And I think having the right guy to sell them on that is certainly going to help.
1: Exactly. You, You can't pander to them. You have to be honest and forthcoming and say, this is what we need. You can't just be the head coach that comes in there and says... Make demands. Yeah. The Gator Sanders have the best thing ever, so we need this, 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 this. Here's your checkbook. Write this. You have to have someone who is going to be honest and sell the program and do it through an honest approach. And make them believe. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you've necessarily had that since Urban Meyer left. Maybe that's a hot take, but... I don't think you've had a head coach that I, has came in here and really thoroughly said, listen, we need to do this, 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 this. Now to Jim McIlwain's credit, he made a lot of statements in the first couple of years that rubbed the administration the wrong way so, because he ripped the facilities. Well so but he here's my thing.
0: He made a lot of those demands, but like you said, didn't go about it the right way for not only just yes. not only just about in asking for it from the administration, but I'm sure in terms of coming to the boosters and certainly the way that he dealt with fans. And, and some of the his frustrations from their standpoint. I, I do think that that's key. I, I really like how you said just being humble and showing some humility. I think that that also ties into why Billy Napier got this job, one of the big reasons why he got this job, and that's a story that you guys can check out on Sunday in the Gainesville Sun. I think one thing that is going to allow him to have success, or could, should I say, Is that right there, Graham? I think that he checks all of the boxes, literally. Has coached in the SEC, elite recruiter, and has a reputation for that. He's been part of staffs that have won the national championship. And he's been a head coach, and he's had success. He checks a lot of boxes, Graham. But I think the thing that he checks maybe the most is – the culture that he's going to build, but also the example that he's going to set for that culture. And I think there's been two coaches now that have come in here and had a lot of success and have had it right away and things were really good early on. And I think for both of the last two head coaches, when adversity hit and things started going south and they were having a tough year, they did not have the program and the culture and the leadership in place to withstand that, to make it through that storm. And I think that Billy Napier is going to be somebody that can do that, that can keep this locker room from being lost and that can keep these players and his staff members bought into him and what he's trying to do. And I I, I don't think that not only Dan Mullen but Jim McIlwain were able to keep that belief in them and in their program in their final year. And I think that Billy, being the type of guy that he is, the background that he has as a son of a high school coach, and the fact that he was groomed by not just Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, but also you know Tommy Bowden. He worked for him at Clemson for a long time, son of Bobby Bowden. He was hired by Jimbo Fisher. He's learned from a lot of guys in the coaching profession that know what they're doing, and I think – bringing all that along with those boxes that I checked and his personality I think is going to be a breath of fresh air for people within this program.
1: And being a former four-year starter at quarterback is certainly going to help as well you know we always mention quarterback guru for a guy like Dan Mullen when really he was a tight end (laughs) yeah and when you look back on it how he managed the quarterback position at Florida definitely I think part of one of the reasons that mismanaged this yeah this undoing happened was because of how he mismanaged the quarterback position not just this season but over the last couple of years and if it weren't for an injury to Felipe Franks I mean who knows what would have happened I think that would have come to light even sooner if it weren't for Kyle Trask so you're looking at a a guy in Billy Napier who maybe doesn't have that reputation as having groomed an elite quarterback just yet but has the experience to say, hey, this is what it takes to play the position and can talk to the quarterbacks one-on-one. And, and maybe that carries a little bit more weight for this generation of players here who want to talk to someone who has played the position. And we've talked about the benefit of Brian Johnson for this program and what he meant as a former quarterback that these guys had actually seen grow up and play and have success at this level and what his departure may have meant for the program so I think that having a quarterback in Billy Napier is going to be huge for this program and you know I mentioned humble and not to keep beating a dead horse but at Furman University they were not winning every single game so he has experienced this other side of of football games he's experienced losses and knowing how you should come out after the fact after a loss and and say hey we got beat today and express that rather than misplay the situation. And put it out of context here, and talk about how you outgained the other one. Yeah, that's just part of what rubbed people the wrong way about the losses, and understanding that you can just say, "We lost the game. We need to get better." And I did a poor job. Yeah, and and they had a better game plan than me, and I got out game planned. Admitting your faults, and when you lost, and and when you got beat, is absolutely key for a head coach at this level, because you know people don't want to be fooled; they don't want to be played for a dummy. No, and they'll
0: stop. Believing and buying in and purchasing season tickets. and Yes. I think that was certainly going to be at risk uh, in the future. And Scott Strickland saw where things were heading and decided to pull the plug. And now he's got a new man leading his football program. So we'll see where things go from here. It's going to be an interesting offseason. I think it is good for the football program. And I think for all the people out there that like to follow recruiting, that there's going to be some renewed interest there now and he's going to be able to maybe make a few surprises happen either for the early signing period or certainly by National Signing Day and I think try to salvage this first transition class and then see what he can do potentially in the portal but there's still so much that's going to happen between his staffing hires, what he does in the recruiting department so It is going to be an eventful offseason between that and certainly everything happening with this men's basketball team. When we come back next week, we'll talk about the start that they've had to the season. We'll keep you updated on where things stand with Billy Napier's staff and what he had to say in his introductory press conference on Sunday. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Alboverde.